morning, everyone. Shoot. I read an interesting story this past week as I was preparing to speak with you all this morning. And I thought I'd share because I love history and it just, it, it spoke to me. I was like, ooh, I like this. A mother once approached Napoleon. Ax, ax, bleh, words. Sorry. Just going to get that out right now. A mother once approached Napoleon asking for a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, said Napoleon. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Mercy is a really weird thing. We're just going to start with that because I think I'm not the only one in the room that the idea of mercy is just in our gut, just something we don't like, unless it's given to us. We don't like giving it to any other people, okay? In case you didn't know, my name's Jared. Hi. My siblings and I, we grew up as pastor's kids. I'm sorry. We're one of those people. In fact, my dad, he's still a pastor. He serves at a church about 45 minutes away from here. And I grew up in the second row pew on the left-hand side. If you sat in our spot, we'd kindly say, you got to move because we were kind Baptists and we had our spot. So, you know, it wasn't until years later that they were redoing the pews, because we had pews, so not chairs. Um, and they, they discovered that where I sat, the varnish had been chipped off on the pew in front of us because every Sunday I was just like, and I would just like chip it and be like, it's a spaceship. And, you know, over the years it changed into multiple things, so. I was a good kid. Um, anyway, but my dad, my dad's awesome. He taught me a lot, even when I didn't really want to be taught. But I learned a certain style of preaching from him. And that style is rooted in the use of popular media to help illustrate scripture. My dad has an uncanny ability to look into his memory and find a movie or a TV show or a song or anything to illustrate a point at any given time. And it, at the time, I hated it. I was like, Dad, don't ruin that. But, you know, it was always really good. Um, and he still does it. So because I respect the lessons of my youth and I'm one of those guys who is constantly striving to be more like his dad, I figured this morning I'm going to do something that my dad would do. And we're going to start off with a clip from a movie because it's going to help illustrate our topic for this morning. So let's roll that.
was your name, boy? Gaston. Sir. And your parents? Boy. Brother, take him out. Moved by what he saw, the king adopted the boy Gaston into his family. A son with no royal blood and no eye on his throne. But perhaps there was something else at work that day. Something beyond simple understanding. The day a boy from the unlikeliest of places became a prince of Persia. So yeah, we're talking about mercy. And the reason I chose that clip was... It's all good. I was like, what's that? <laughs> the reason why I chose that first clip was because it illustrated the idea of mercy fairly well. Here's the first fill-in on your note sheet. To be merciful is to not hand out punishment to those that are deserving of it. To be merciful is to not hand out punishment to those that are deserving of it. See, the king in that clip could have easily sat by and let that kid get what was coming to him. He had every right to do so. One, he was the king, and two, it was the law. Okay, But instead, he stepped in and he showed mercy. Instead of receiving the punishment that he had earned by fighting with the authorities, even though he was trying to do a good thing, he was trying to save the, his friend from being beat, he had still broken the law. Okay, Instead of receiving the punish punishment that he had earned, that kid was adopted into the royal family. Okay, As we dive into God's word, keep in mind the image of someone not getting the punishment that they deserve. We've been talking the last several weeks about the Beatitudes, right? People remember this? Making sure I'm on the right topic. Because if I prepared the wrong thing, then we're both in trouble. Okay? We've been talking about the Beatitudes, which is a specific part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles with you or you have the Bible app downloaded on your phone, I want you to jump over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to refresh our memory before we continue on this morning. While you're doing that, I want to point out that all the scripture references we're going to be looking at today, they're listed at the top of your note sheet. So if you want to look ahead, bookmark those, and be ready, you're totally allowed to do that. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 3. Begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I like that the Beatitudes can be divided up into sections. It just it sits well with my brain. Whenever I read scripture, I'm trying to figure out how it slots in and how it intersects with other parts and why is it in this section and not in that section. 
maybe you've noticed, but the first three sections, or the first three parts of the Beatitudes, they're describing emptiness, the emptiness of a blessed person. Um, it talks about being poor. talks about mourning, of loss. talks about meekness, of being humble, not thinking highly of yourself. Okay? It's all describing um, being empty. And then we get to the new section. It starts with, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You only hunger and thirst for something if you're empty. And I'm thinking about this because Thursday, I miscalculated time, and I was about an hour and a half late on my turkey being done. It was still fantastic. However, for that hour and a half, I was especially hungering for that turkey. Okay, I was empty. I, I didn't want to have more food. I wanted that. That's what I was craving. Okay. So there's that visual of hungering, of thirsting, longing for something. Then we have to ask, what does it mean to be righteous? Scripture then shifts into three verses that give descriptions, three more of the Beatitudes. We're only going to talk about the first one, the mercy, because that's more than enough to challenge us today. But I love how cool the Bible is, where everything just ties together, where everything just kind of slots into place. And you're like, wow, it was done on purpose. Good job, God. Like, huh. So we've established that Jesus gave a famous sermon. And in that sermon, there's a list of traits that we should have. One of those says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now what? You can say, well, we're done. Okay, have a nice day. We've looked at the verse. But if you're anything like me, you might be wondering, well, how do I get to be part of this, the merciful club? Blessed are the merciful. Okay, what, what does it mean to be merciful? The passage specifically says, blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those that sometimes show mercy if they feel like it, or if they have the time, or you know, if they're free that day. Next fill-in is we need to understand what it means to be merciful, not just do merciful things. We need to understand what it means to be merciful, not just do merciful things. And we're going to really focus on this, okay? To be part of the merciful, not the people that show mercy sometimes. Okay? What does it even mean for the trait of mercy to be something that is a definition of who you are as a person? Okay? All of us in this room have traits or um, hobbies or things that would define us. Okay? I am totally fine with being known as a geek and a nerd and and somebody that collects weird things, okay? You should see my office. I have lots of Legos, okay? I'm totally fine with that being a trait of mine, okay? How do we get to have mercy be one of those traits? How do we get to be known as someone who is merciful, okay? These are the type of questions that we must, must ask when we study Scripture. We must look for the application. We must look for how it actually applies to our life 
so that after we leave this morning, we are actually putting it into practice, okay? Because if you're just going to listen and be like, hmm, that was nice, and then go on and do your own thing, then you've completely missed the point of church, okay? We have to look for the application. We have to look at how this affects our lives. Sometimes it can help to figure something out by looking at what it isn't. If that doesn't make sense, bear with me. We're going to look at a couple passages where we can see the opposite of being merciful, okay? Because if we know what mercy isn't, then we know what it is, okay? So we're going to first look at Matthew chapter 9. Remember, all the list of all those verses are on your note sheet. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. It says, As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with those people? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That last bit where Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is actually a quote from the Old Testament. And the people he was talking to definitely would have known that. They immediately would have made that connection. They're like, ah, crud. Okay. I don't like that. Okay? He is quoting specifically Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And for the people he's talking to, their whole life revolved around memorizing and knowing the ancient law, or the, what we call the Old Testament, okay? Back in those days, in the days of Hosea, God was accusing his people of having a love for him that didn't last. It's described a couple of verses prior <coughs> that their love was like the morning dew on grass that's there for a brief time, and then is gone. You all undoubtedly have seen, especially right now when it's starting to get cold, where there's frost on the ground, and it slowly goes away as the sun creeps across the pavement or across the grass. You guys have seen that, right? Not the only one who notices weird things, okay? It's there, but it doesn't last all day. A couple hours, maybe. A couple minutes, depending on where it's at. Their love was like morning dew. It's there for a little while, and then it's gone. And because that love is gone, all that's left is the empty actions in the form of burnt offerings. Sure, they were doing the offerings. They were doing the things that God told them to do, but the love wasn't there. It was empty. God wants, God desires his people to be in love with him. He doesn't desire empty actions he desires something deeper he doesn't want people that just do their religious duties out of compulsion so with this in mind we can see in matthew 9 that jesus is calling out the religious leaders because they have lost their love for god and they're just going through the motions when they go after jesus like why are you spending time with the sinners and the tax collectors oh jesus why a horrible person for hanging out with them. 
all they saw was a problem with how he was acting because it didn't fit with their understanding. Okay? They knew the law. They knew the things that had been written down, and they knew all the extras that had been added on top of it. Okay? But they completely lost the love of the creator. You could think of them, or at least I think of them because I'm me, kind of like religious robots. They, they knew the programming. They, they would do the same thing over and over and over, but there was nothing deeper than just, this is what I do. And you shouldn't do it because I don't do it. How dare you do that because that doesn't make sense. That's not come true. Okay, I'm sorry. That's the last of that. Okay. They were just going through the motions. Yes, often doing the things of God, but their hearts weren't in it. They had become slaves to the routine of their religious traditions. And along the way, they'd forgotten about the love and the mercy that was offered by the Creator. The other passage we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 23. 23, verses 23 and 24. Again, Jesus is calling out these hyper-religious people. Hyper-religious people. They, they totally knew the law. They totally knew how to look good. And then Jesus calls them out. Woe to you. I love woe because it's not like, whoa. You know, it's, it's bad. It's a bad type of woe. Okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is when we start paying attention. Woe means pay attention. Okay? For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Whoa. <laughs> you see what I did there? Okay. He's saying that, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing the things you should. You're, you're tithing. Cool. But that's not the most important thing. You're, you're doing the tiny things. Okay. Hands up. When, when you cook something, you've used a strainer, right? Yes? This is not just me? Okay. They would strain the wheat. They're, they're looking for particles that aren't supposed to be in the wheat, and they would, they would strain everything down super small, and they'd be like, oh, a gnat. Ew. Ugh, I don't want this, this in there. It's like, good. You found the tiny thing, but you're eating a camel. It's huge. How could you miss that? That's not supposed to be in your bread. It's like, you're, yeah, you're succeeding at this tiny little thing. But the big picture here you are completely missing. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. This is what you should be doing. Along with the others, you're missing a big point. Okay, remember, we're looking at examples of the opposite of mercy. Okay? He's confronting them because they do succeed, sort of, but not really. Overall, they're failing. It would be like Somebody coming in here saying, well, I gave some money. I don't need to be merciful. I don't need to be nice. I, I, I did that part. Okay, cool. Good for you. You're missing the big point. Okay? It doesn't just stop with this part of following God. It actually encompasses so, so, so much more. Okay? We're forgetting and they're forgetting what carries more weight in the eyes of God. Mercy, then, sounds pretty important. I'm 
constantly amazed by God's word because when you dig into it, you find that it is all connected. It's super cool, and I get super excited about it, and I'm really sorry, but that's just the way it is, okay? You look at a verse, and it's connected to this verse, which is connected to the Old Testament, which is connected to the New Testament, and Jesus is saying this and this and this and this. It's just like, yes, awesome, okay? Like, the Bible is not a a collection of cool one-verse sayings. Not to get on my high horse here, but that's when people are like, well, my life verse is this. I'm like, yeah, what's the context? What else does it connect to? Yeah, it says something really good. What about the rest? There's so much more. We could stop at blessed are the merciful and be like, oh, okay, we're done. But there's so much more to unpack. There's so much more to understand, okay? God has something to say through his word. He has something to say in scripture. And he says it over and over and over in multiple ways just to help us get it. And if we just stop at one verse, we're not going to get it. So what does this leave us with? What does mercy even look like? Here's the next fill-in. Mercy is action, not religious posturing. Mercy is action, not religious posturing. Posturing. Let's be real honest with ourselves. It is super easy, especially right here, right now in 2018, to posture ourselves as caring, merciful, religious people. It is super easy. Okay? Most of us have hundreds of, quote, friends on social media that we can say the right things or post the right things or an inspirational quote, be like, oh, look how good that person is. We see someone is struggling and we emote a little sad face. And if we really hunt and peck, we might be able to find a sad face with a single tear, maybe two tears even, okay? We'll, we'll comment, I'm praying for you, but now I'd ever follow up with them. Or even worse, say, I'm sending good thoughts your way, which just makes me gag. Goodness, good thoughts? What does that do? That's not mercy. Sure, it's being nice, but it's not being merciful. It's not overtly Christian either. This is doing the bare minimum to ease our consciences and still look Christian-y. Woe to us, see, tying it back around. Woe to us, socially connected Christian hypocrites. There is so much more about mercy that we are not grasping, okay? It's not just about saying a nice thing and then moving on. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 is where we'll start. (coughs) If you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, you're already aware of where this is going. Here's a recap. A man is walking along the road and is attacked by robbers. They beat him, they stole everything he had, and left him for dead. Now, because I'm me and I have a two-year-old, the only thing that's going through my mind right now is Larry the Cucumber in VeggieTales because I've seen that episode so many times. It's like just a song to haunt my, my dreams. It's good, but, you know, that's only the first hundred times. We don't know why this guy was chosen 
by the robbers. Maybe it was a crime of opportunity. Maybe he was walking down the wrong road. Maybe he was wearing too nice of clothes or he was flaunting his riches or, you know, wrong time of day or whatever excuse that we might add. But it doesn't matter. What matters is he is going to die in that ditch alone unless someone comes by to help. He's going to die. A little while after this beating, a priest walks by. And normally we think, priest, okay, good person, yes. He, he, will, help the, he will help that poor man. The priest sees the man and just walks faster, just continues on by. It's not going to help. He sees the man bruised, broken, suffering, doesn't do anything. Then another man, a teacher of the law, also what we would consider a good person, he happens by and he sees this man broken and bleeding and on the verge of death. And he literally goes to the other side of the road to avoid this man. Maybe he was afraid the man would cough on him and, and, and get blood on him or something. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to, no. And he continues on his way. These are good people or what we would consider good people. And what are they doing? Then a Samaritan man passes by, and he sees the Jewish man that was beaten and near death. And quick note, and we're going to circle back to this. Jewish people and Samaritan people did not like each other. This wasn't a simple, yeah, you stay over there. No, like they would, like, come to terms, okay? They hated each other. They despised each other. You could not get two groups of people that hated each other more. They literally, the Jewish people, would walk around the territory of the Samaritans. They would add miles and days onto their journey just so they could avoid the land of the Samaritans. Okay? They hated each other. This Samaritan man, he sees this man that has been injured, He'd been robbed, and he stoops down, and he cares for him. He dresses his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He carries him to safety. He takes him to an inn. He pays the innkeeper to look after the man. And he says, whatever you spend to care for this man, if it goes above what I'm paying you now, I'll pay the rest when I come back through. When Jesus asked the man who he was telling the story about which of the three men was the true neighbor, the man responded, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus responded, go and do likewise. Start paying attention to scripture. Mercy pops up quite often. Put yourself in the mind of the Samaritan, okay? You are walking by and you see somebody injured and you take a second look and you know exactly the type of person it is. This guy had every right to pass by, okay? People like him had no doubt mocked and ridiculed and uh, just the amount of hate between these two people just, uh, we can't understand, okay? He had spent his whole life hated by those type of people. He saw a lion there and, and no doubt going through his mind is just like, 
If I was there, he wouldn't do it for me. I'm, I, I don't have to. Flashbacks of being spit upon and yelled at and beaten, run out of town. But then he chose to look past all that. And he chose to have mercy in spite of that history. And he chose to help the man. Likewise, for us to be merciful, we have to choose to set aside our judgment of others, even when we think that they deserve it. Okay? Let's be honest. Oftentimes, we are running through our minds of, do they deserve that? Probably. Mercy is looking past that. Remember the clip that we started with this morning. Here's the next fill-in. Mercy is recognizing that someone is deserving of what they are going to get, but then stepping in and not giving it to them. Mercy is recognizing that someone is deserving of what they are going to get, but then stepping in and not giving it to them. It's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is something else. Mercy recognizes that a punishment has to be paid and is not giving the punishment. So why is this important? Why are we spending so much time on this one simple verse? Specifically, why is mercy so important to God? It keeps popping up verse after verse, New Testament, Old Testament. It keeps coming up. Why is this important? Why can't we just skip past it? Why is it so important to God? Because God isn't interested in our empty sacrifices. He desires our mercy. He isn't interested in us acting like Christians. If I was a braver person, I probably would have titled this, Don't Act Like a Christian. But that would cause some looks and some confusion. I don't think I'd be fired, but you know, still. I just didn't want to go near there. But seriously, God doesn't want us to act like Christians. He desires to see us extend to others what he has already extended to us. He wants us to extend to others mercy because we have received mercy. He has extended to us mercy by withholding judgment and condemnation when it is very, very much deserved. Every single person in this room calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, from the oldest to the youngest, has received mercy from God. We deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. I am not a good person. Okay? I sin every day. I try hard not to, and I still sin. And I, I miss the point. I miss the, the bullseye. Okay? I am not perfect. Every single one of us deserve judgment. But here's the good part. Here's the next fill-in. Our sin warrants an attorney separated from the Father, but in mercy, Jesus steps in and sacrificed himself on our behalf. Okay? We did not earn it. There is no amount of youth group events I can do and all-nighters to pull with all these crazy teenagers that is going to earn me salvation. It's not going to happen. Mercy is what I have received from God. Mercy is what you have received. Okay? Our sin warrants an eternity separated from the Father, but in mercy, Jesus steps in, sacrificed himself on our behalf. Have you experienced mercy? Because if you have, you must display it for all to see. 
Have you ever had something happen that you just, you are busting at the seams. You can't wait to tell somebody, okay? Maybe, just to bring it down a little bit closer to earth, maybe it was last Thursday and you had the most amazing turkey like my family did. Just kidding. And you, you just can't wait to tell people. You're like, oh, you should know this. I experienced this. You should experience it too, okay? If you have experienced mercy, it's got to display. It's, it's, it's bursting out of your heart saying, oh, if you could only experience it too. We have received mercy in place of judgment. So be merciful to others. Don't act like a good person. Don't just do merciful things now and then. Be a merciful person. Blessed are the merciful. Okay? Don't get caught up in acting religious by showing up to church and then giving your offering and then exiting the building only to make excuses why you don't need to be merciful to somebody. Don't do that. You know, if they would just get a job, they wouldn't be in that situation. You know, it's their own fault this is happening. I don't need to help them. They brought it on themselves. She was a jerk. I don't need to help her. Ugh. You may be able to fool other people with that posturing. I may be able to fool other people with that posturing like a good person, but we are not fooling God. God sees right through it, and he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not all of these Christian-y things. Okay, don't just act like a good person, be a merciful person. Some in this room who are better than me, who are thinking, phew, glad this doesn't apply to me. I'm a good person. I do so many nice things, and I volunteer my time, and whew, that was a good sermon, but you know, it doesn't apply to me. I'm always nice. I extend grace to everybody. I'm assuming nobody's actually like this, but you know. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. Mercy and grace are not the same thing. Okay? Mercy and grace are not the same. Don't get me wrong. Mercy and grace are both good things. They're both related, but they are also very different. If they were the same, God wouldn't have talked about them in different ways in the Bible. He wouldn't have used different words. Okay? This is part of studying the Bible, is realizing that there is a difference, and there is a reason for every single part that's in them. Okay. Mercy is well mercy is that that part of the Christian life that doesn't really get that much attention because it isn't for show. Now, let's be honest. We all like to be thanked for the good that we do. We like to be recognized. Thank you for doing that. Oh, you are welcome. My pleasure. We all like it. We're all human. But mercy isn't for the show. Here's the next fill in. This is because it's easy to see the actions of grace, but it is harder to see the inaction of mercy. It is easy to see the actions of grace, but it is harder to see the inaction of mercy. Think of it this way. I'm going to put it in a, in a father of a two-year-old type of way. Grace is the ice cream that you were given when you didn't deserve it. 
Grace is the ice cream that you were given when you didn't deserve it. Mercy is the time out that you should have gotten, but you didn't. Okay? It's a very small but significant difference. Grace is receiving something when you didn't deserve it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay? Lots of us are gracious to others. Lots of us are kind to others. But that is not mercy. Mercy is looking past the judgment. Mercy is looking past what people have done without just being nice to them. There may be others in this room that are hearing this and thinking, yeah, but do I have to be merciful? Like, all the time. Like, like all the time, all the time, all the time. Can I go on and on? I get that. Fair enough. I recognize that life is complex, okay? When I was younger, I was a very black and white person. So ask my mom. I'd be like, no, it's wrong. Because it is. Life's not that way, okay? Especially for Christians who seriously want to live out their faith in a fallen world. It's not simple. Again, I have a toddler. My daughter is two and a half years old now. With that has come no small amount of sass. And I'm not sure where she gets it. But it definitely wasn't me. It was probably like some relative way in the distant past, and genetically, it, it wasn't me. I hope. It, okay, it probably was. The other night, we're playing, we're having fun, and I told her that she had five minutes to get ready for bed. Five more minutes, Riley, and it's time to go to bed. And she stopped what she was doing. Maybe she was coloring, I, playing with, with a puzzle. I can't really remember. Because she stopped, she turned, she looked me dead in the eye. And I was like, oh, child. Bedtime came five minutes earlier that night. Because, seriously, what was I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be merciful every single time my child talks back to me? Or take Stephanie, my wife is amazing, and she is responsible for a couple dozen employees. Should she always be merciful to the irresponsible ones, the ones that don't do the job that they are hired to do? Or should there be justice? These are the hard things that we got to chew on. Yes, we are to be merciful people. But what about the other side? The thing is, being a merciful person is so much more than just letting bad behavior slide without punishment. So much more. We got to keep digging into the word of God because Ephesians 6, 4, thankfully, instructs fathers to raise their children with instruction and discipline. Yes, discipline. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 shares the command that those who are unwilling to work will not receive compensation. Okay, so there's justice at play here too. We got to keep digging into the word. We got to keep wrestling with all of this. I believe that God's will is that we should use wisdom to dispense justice and mercy as needed in different situations. Because after all, our Lord is a God of justice and he is a God of mercy. Okay? 
there is mercy that has been extended to us, and there is justice that is extended when it is needed. But, here's the next fill-in. How do we know the right time to dispense mercy and the right time to dispense justice? How do we know? According to Pastor John Piper, some of you may have read his books or, or heard sermons by him. According to him, the answer is by getting as close to Jesus as you possibly can. The answer is by getting as close to Jesus as you possibly can. The Bible does not have a direct answer to every situation you will find yourself. I am sorry to tell you, but it's the truth. Okay? There is no verse that says, Jared shall always send his daughter to bed without dessert whenever she is rude. I've looked. It does not exist. The black and white part of me would really love if there was a verse like that. Or a verse that says, Jared shall always look past his daughter's bad behavior because she is two and she needs cuddles instead of a timeout. There's not. I've looked. <sighs> okay? I don't think this is a mistake. The purpose of Scripture is not to just have an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts for every conceivable situation. The purpose of Scripture is to bring us closer to Jesus Christ. To bring us closer to God and his good purposes. Thankfully, Matthew 5-7 does not say, Blessed are those who know how and when and in what measure to show mercy in every possible situation. Because that would be a long verse. It doesn't say that. Okay? As we talked about earlier, being merciful is not filling up a checklist of requirements. Okay? The people that Jesus said woe to were the people that were looking for a list of requirements. People who knew that list. Who were like, mm, that doesn't fit. Mm -mm. They said, woe to you. So you're missing the point. It's not part of the list. There's something more. There's something deeper that you have to know. Okay? Mercy, being merciful, is a mindset. It's a value. You either are a merciful person or you are not. It's, it's you striving to be merciful because you have been shown mercy. It's not you being like, well, I've done 10 merciful things this week. I could shoot for 12, but I don't want to strain anything. Okay? It's not that. Being merciful is a value. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's something super deep. It's something super meaningful that guides your life because you want to reflect what you have been given by God. Here's the crazy thing about having received mercy. Next fill-in. When you don't get what you deserve, it's a real good thing. When you don't get what you deserve, it's a real good thing. And if you're thinking, hey, that's catchy. That should be on a t-shirt or a song. You're in luck. Real good thing. Newsboys, 1994. You're welcome. It's a song. And as I'm preparing this, I, I like started humming the song. I'm like, oh! It's part of my childhood, and it fits. My brain is funny sometimes. Seriously, if you have received the mercy of Jesus Christ, if the punishment 
that you are deserving has been withheld because of mercy, that's an amazing feeling. How could you not want to share that to others? How could you treat that as just a list of do's and don'ts to part out to people when you feel like it? Or when you get past an excuse of, ah, if they had a job, or if they had a job I liked, then they wouldn't be in that situation. No, that's not mercy. Okay? Mercy is an amazing thing. It is looking past what we deserve. And it's not giving it to them. Okay? How can you not want to share that freedom to others by being merciful? Go and be merciful people. Don't just do religious things. Don't act like Christians. Okay? Don't come up with excuses when someone isn't worth having mercy given to them. Be merciful in your character. And through wisdom, only gained through Jesus, learn when and how to dispense mercy and when and how to dispense justice. But underneath that justice is still someone who desires to be merciful because that person has received mercy. As we close, I want to leave you with a chance to reflect on what we've talked about with one last video clip. After it's finished, we're going to have the band come up and play one last song. If you'd like to speak with me after the service, if I've, if I've wrinkled some feathers or something, cool. I invite conversation. I'd love to talk to you more about this. I, I care so deeply about Scripture and digging into it and understanding it, and I do not have all the answers, but I'd love to have your questions because I desire so much to keep on learning and keep on discovering what God would have for us. Okay? I'll be up here up front. If you don't, no harm, no foul. I always welcome the chance to have a conversation with you. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it goes beyond simple one-sentence verses. Thank you that it is deeper than that, that we can look Old Testament, New Testament, and we can find ways that they interact how we can better apply them to our lives. I pray that you will help us to be merciful people, that we won't simply do good things or do mercy every now and then, but that we will be merciful because you gave mercy to us. And we don't deserve your grace, your mercy. You still were merciful. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Merciful. Why? Because Jesus healed the sick. Because Jesus fed the multitudes. Because Jesus gave legs to the crippled. Because Jesus granted sight to the blind. Because Jesus opened the ears of the deaf. Because Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them into the sphere of his love. Because Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and forgave the unforgivable and welcomed the undesirable because Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but according to his mercy. 
We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve. They brought it on themselves. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, he doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? How then is it possible to experience it and not display it? It isn't possible.